Hey, good morning, good morning. How you doing? Let me hear you this morning. Uh, we, we showed that video to you because if you weren't with us last week, we got the opportunity to announce that as a church, we have provided for everybody in our church the Ramsey Plus subscription. And so included in Ramsey Plus is the Financial Peace University process that is budgeting, helping you with your finances. And that's a $200 value per person. And we, we talked last week about how a lot of times that's difficult for somebody who's wanting to get right in their life financially, but then they have to put $200 up, you know, to be able to get there. And that's, it's really difficult. <clears throat> and so we were able to announce last Sunday with such excitement that we've actually already provided that for you. And so we kind of said it like this, uh, we've already paid for your gym membership. You just have to go to the gym. And so we really wanted to encourage you to do that. We've sent it out on the newsletter. We had the QR code up last Sunday. If you're here today visiting or you've been out for a couple of weeks, uh, do us a favor and go by the Welcome Center and you can get that information, get that code. Uh, it's of no cost of you. It doesn't give us any of your information. It just allows you to uh, get into the Ramsey Plus. It gives you kind of a, a code to be able to pay for it for free and allows you to start that. And I think that's so important this time of year because you're getting ready to go into the holidays where a lot of people are spending money that they don't have, right? Uh, and then you go into January struggling financially. And so if you can go ahead and jump in that now, you can get that stuff figured out even before the new year. So it's such an honor as your pastor to be able to say that we're doing that for our church. And I really want to encourage, I told first service, uh, I get to see if you've actually gone through and done it. So I'll know who's actually doing it. Uh, and so, you know, it'll be a good way to hold people accountable. And it's, I think it's just healthy for us as a church. And so I encourage you, if you haven't, do it, do it sooner than later so that you don't forget about it. Amen. Hey, if you get your Bibles, turn to John chapter 6. It'll be on the screen behind me. You can look on your phone or, of course, your paper Bible if you have it. John chapter 6, we are continuing our series called Trust Issues. We'll finish that next Sunday. We're going to focus a little bit around uh, thankful and gratitude towards God in that season. And then we'll get into a Christmas at Victory series in December. And of course, our Christmas Eve series, we bring the year to a close. We always take that last Sunday of the year off. And then we launch it with all of our brand new vision in 24. And so we've got a lot happening over the next couple of weeks. We hope you're a part of John chapter 6. Jesus has been performing his miracles, going around preaching, teaching. And he's gathered quite an audience, quite a crowd. And at this particular point in the scriptures, he's kind of gone away and distanced himself to rest. And in comes the crowd following him. And you're going to see a story, a situation that I think is going to bring out some great principles for us today. So John chapter 6, we'll start reading at verse 5. All of our sermon is coming out of John 6 today. It says, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he says to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? These people are going to naturally be hungry. How are we going to provide food for them? Uh, to which Philip then responds, uh, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked, and he says he asked this only to test him, for he ha already had in mind what he was going to do. Everybody say test. Yes. Let's try this better. Everybody say test. Yes. Test. So the Bible says he asked this just to test him, for Jesus already knew what he was going to do. And then here's where Philip responded. Philip responded, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one of them to even have a bite. So obviously he's exaggerating a little bit, but the point he's making is that this is a ludicrous question that Jesus has asked him. Then all of a sudden, another one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon's Pe Simon Peter's brother, speaks up and he says, hey Jesus, here's a boy that has five small barley loaves and two small fish but how far will this go with so many? Now, I, I told first service, I'm like, I don't quite understand this. I'm not sure if he's trying to be sarcastic. I'm not sure if he has this ridiculous amount of faith. 
I'm not sure if he's just ignorant, but this idea of bringing this boy with this small amount of food, knowing it's not going to help at all. And then all of a sudden, Jesus then says back to them, have the people sit down. It says there was plenty of grass in that place for them to sit. And so they sat down. This will be important later. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves. He gave thanks, thanking God, praising God. And then he distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And then he did the same with the fish. The title of my sermon for you today is simply this. What test? What test? I have uh, been honest with you as a church about my high school career and how good I did in high school. Uh, That English right there would help you understand how well I did. Um, But it was very common for me to enter into a class and sit down and people are pulling out number two pencils and notebooks and I'm looking around and I would lean over to the person beside me and I go, hey, you know, what are you doing? They would say, we're preparing for the test. And my response to them would be, what test? Right? You ever been there? Y'all, any of y'all students like me where the teacher might have been talking about a test for six weeks, but you weren't paying attention, and now all of a sudden the day of, you're looking around going, what test? In the Bible, you will see multiple moments, different times, where God sets boundaries as a test for you and me. That There are moments in Scripture where God takes something, and he sets it aside, he sets it apart, and that whole concept is a test for you and me. And it's our obedience to this test that gives us the opportunity to either show him gratitude, to show him our love, or to trust him. For example, in the book of Genesis, God takes Adam into the garden and he says, see all of these trees. He he looks at thousands of trees. See all of these trees. You can eat from any of these trees except this one. He sets one apart. He he puts this boundary in place, and he's doing it so that by Adam's obedience, Adam will be showing his gratitude, his love, but most of all, he'll be showing that he trusts God, that he can have all of this, but he can't touch that. It's a test to see if he'll trust God. It's a test to see if he'll be obedient to God. Now, you and I don't generally like tests. It's not something that we're excited about. It's probably a few of you that are like, ooh, test. But for the most of us, tests are not something that we're excited about. But they are necessary. They're necessary for us in school because at some point we're learning something in school. Let's let's just say it's math, for example. And so we're learning new math because apparently old math wasn't good enough, right? And so now we're learning new math, which if you look, you see old math in new math, but we won't worry about that. And so you're learning new math, and at some point, we have to evaluate you to see how much you've learned and how much you still need to learn. So we take a test. The test reveals where we are, and the test reveals what we need to work on. In the same way, God gives these small tests to us so that we will know where we are, and we will know what areas we need God's help to work on. So in John chapter 6, I see three tests. There are three tests that he puts his disciples through, three tests that I feel like we go through those same tests, and whether it has to do with our relationship with God, our our walk with the Lord, or whether it has to do with our finances, whatever concept of our life, I think he gives us these three 
test. And if we, uh, if we obey them and we observe them and we process them, they become a positive thing. And I want to show them to us so that we're not sitting around going, what test? All right. Test number one is this. It's the trust test. The first test that you and I see in John 6 is the trust test. Let's go back to John chapter 6, verse 5, verse 6, and let's read what happens. Jesus sees these people coming. He knows he needs to feed them. And he looks to Philip, one of his disciples, and he says, how can we feed these people? But then the Bible simply says to us that Jesus asked Philip this as just a test that he already had in his mind, already had in his heart, already had the whole thing planned out of how he was going to provide. But he's asking Philip to see if Philip will trust him. That's the whole moment for him. This is a, the Bible literally tells you that he tested him. He wanted to test him to see, would he lean on his own understanding, right? Would he go, man, we can't feed these people. Or would he trust God and lean into the idea that God is the provider? Trusting God is one of those disciplines. It's one of those principles, listen to me, that we think we understand, we, we think we fully grasp the idea of trusting God until we are called upon to do it, right? It's real easy to say, I trust God. For example, do we all in here trust God? Yes. We, we just, it's just kind of a byproduct of Christianity. If I'm a Christian, then I trust God. But we're not always in a situation where we're called to do it. And once we're called to do it, it gives revelation and really, or whether or not, we actually trust God. We discover that there's actually more to the idea, more to the concept than we actually realized. And tithing, tithing is one of the most basic, one of the, the most simple, simplest, if, as we say, my, my high school education, faith-building test. And one of the reasons for that is because it's practical. It, we're taught what to do. We know how, what to do. We know how to do it. We know what the expectation is. And watch this. The process of it moves our trust off of ourselves and onto God. Does that make sense? When, when you and I trust God with our finances, it's, it's an aspect, it's a process where we are stopping putting the trust on ourselves and moving into putting our trust in God. Let me give you an example. How many of you remember whether it was growing up or a, uh, uh, like a, like a, a job, get together, team building thing? How many of you remember doing a trust fall? Y'all remember trust fall, right? In case you don't, right? In case you've been under a rock for the past 30 years, um, you would get somebody, you go to somebody and you get them behind you and you say, Hey, we're about to do a trust fall. And then you, you know, often you'd fold your arms like this and then you lean back and you completely surrender all of your control and all of your body weight and you fall. And if it works, the person behind you, what catches you, y'all have done this before you lied. <laughs> I've done a trust fall. The secret to the trust fall is to make sure that the person who's behind you can in fact catch you, Right. What you don't want to do is have some small person. I was out sometime. There was a time where we were doing this for a church event years, years ago. And the little girl that was going to catch me, she was just like a, a little bitty girl. And I was like, she ain't catching me. All right. Like, it's not like she's not going to catch me. She's going to cushion me. You know what I mean? Like, I'm going to land on her and then we both go into the ground. 
Like it's important for you to have somebody behind you. I need to know if you bring a child up here, I'm probably not trusting them. You, you get Kyle up here, I'm going to trust him to catch me, right? It's important. The whole principle behind a trust fall is do you trust the person behind you to catch you? Now, here's what's been interesting lately is my youngest daughter, Casey Ray, has become obsessed with this concept of trust fall. So she just runs around the house going, hey, you want to do a trust fall? You want to do a trust fall? And I'm smart enough to know that I'm not going to be able, that she's not going to be able to catch me. And so, but I wanted to be able to do it for her and be a good dad. And so I said, hey, come into the living room. And I positioned her in front of the couch because my thought process is if she can't catch me, we're both going on the back of the couch and we'll be okay. Um, what I found out though, is that when Casey Ray asks you to do a trust fall, she has absolutely no plan of catching you at all. <laughs> it's not even in her plans. She is literally doing this because she wants to see you fall. All right. That's why she do it. This is how bad it is. We, we go to do it and I, and I fall and she moves and I hit the couch and she makes like a, oh, sound. And I was like, oh, are you on because you missed me? And she goes, no, I'm on because I couldn't get around fast enough to see your face, see me when you realized I'm not back there. I'm like, what kind of sick joke is this? You know what I mean? Like she doesn't even want to catch me at all. And the whole process of this, watch, our ability to trust depends on who is behind us. If we think that they can catch us, or better yet, if they even want to catch us at all. So here's a question for you. Is God really trustworthy? Is he? You know, there's a difference and yes, he is because the Bible says he is. And yes, he is because I've experienced it, right? There's a difference in the Bible tells me he's trustworthy. So I believe he's trustworthy because that's what I'm supposed to do as a Christian. And I've been in some moments. I've been in some moments where I was completely falling. And the only thing I had was God. And he caught me. Listen to me. Just in planting this church, y'all, I have had numerous moments where I had to trust God. And so I know he's trustworthy, not because that's what the Bible says, but because multiple times, more than I can count on my hands, I have fallen and God has caught me. So to you, is he trustworthy? Next question, do you really trust God? Do you really? See, the catch with trust is this, that trust is not trust unless there is some commitment in where we choose to walk by faith and not by sight. Does that make sense? Let me say it like this. A trust fall is not a trust fall unless you finally make that pivot where you go from controlling your own weight to now being out of control. You can do the whole like trust fall. Oh, okay. You weren't going to catch me, right? We've all done that. You weren't going to catch me. But you never actually surrendered. You never actually released and let it go and catch. You cannot have trust. You cannot develop trust. You cannot realize trust. You cannot have a revelation of trust unless there are moments where you are releasing and surrendering and giving up what you can control and what you can see and falling with blind faith. And so when I ask you, is God trustworthy? And do you trust God? What I'm ultimately asking you is, have you ever been at a point in your life where you completely surrendered everything and trusted God to catch you? 
Not man, God. Listen, this is important. This is why when it comes to trusting God with our finances, it's the only area in the Bible where God says, test me. The Bible actually tells us, don't test God except for this one moment, this one concept, this one subject. When it comes to trusting God with your finances, God says, test me. He doesn't say, test me like that person used to be in high school when you thought a fight was about to break out. The person was like, I bet you won't test me. You know what I mean? Like, that's not, that's not what God's saying. God's saying is, test me, watch this, because I want to prove to you that I am trustworthy. And God is wise enough to know that back then, all the way to 2023, to know that one of the hardest areas for us to completely surrender to God is our finances. Our trust should not, look, the trust of our finances should never compare to the trust of our salvation. But let's be honest, salvation is, is in the future. We can't quite wrap our mind around eternity and heaven and all this, but we know that the bills are due tomorrow. And so this idea of trusting, I can trust God. There's a lot of people trusting God to get them to heaven, and they're not trusting God with their finances. My mind can't compute that. But it's because one is so far ahead for them in their mind, and one is right now. And if they can't pay the bills, then they're homeless, and they're kicked out. And so there's a trust issue. There's a hard moment. And God says, I want you to know that I am trustworthy. This whole concept of tithing, this whole concept of trusting God with your finances, it's all about building responsible moments and experiences where you know God is trustworthy. Where you completely surrender and go, God, I don't know. I don't know how you're going to do it, but I trust you. And you fall back and God catches you and springboards you back up. And now you got a pep in your step. And now you know that if God's faithful then, he'll be faithful here. You know that if God can provide, if I can trust God there, I can trust God here. When you see God's trustworthy in your finances, watch this. You'll know he's trustworthy in your marriage. When you see him trustworthy in your finances, you know that he's trustworthy in your addictions, in your sicknesses, in your thought patterns. You know he's trustworthy in your salvation. And so, for those of you that have been rubbed the wrong way in regards to churches and finances, I understand it. We've all seen it. But I want you to hear this from my heart. When God puts this principle into place, it's less about him getting your money and it has everything to do with you being able to trust him. That once you put a pattern in place that reveals that you can trust God, you live a totally different life. Someone who is walking with God and trusting God because the Bible tells them to is different than somebody who's walking with God and trusting God because they've experienced it personally. It's just different. It's not the only way. It's not the only trust test, but it's one of the greatest ones. And I'm telling you, once you know, once you know, once you know that he is trustworthy, then now the idea of giving him your finances or giving him your marriage or giving him your dreams, all of that is easy to do because you know that once you surrender and let go, you know he'll catch you. And one of the passionate messages of this church has always been, I need to start with the character of God because if you think God is one who finds joy in letting you fall, then you'll never trust him. 
you think that God's whole goal is to get around so that you can see his face, see, his, see your face when he, whoo, when you understand that God loves you and he's there in the process to catch you. And once he catches you, if you've ever done a trust fall, once somebody catches you, now the next time there's a little bit more boldness. And they catch you again, there's a little bit more boldness. Catch you again, there's a little bit more boldness. And God says, I'm trying to create this principle and this pattern in your life where you surrender things and you trust me and you watch me provide and you watch me move you into greater areas of your life. And if I can just get you going off of finances, I will. But it won't stop with finances. It might start there, but it's going to end with every area of your life. The trust test. Number two is this, the size test. So first is the trust test. Number two is the size test. Let's go back to John chapter six. Start reading at verse eight. <clears throat> this is another one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, speaks up. Hey, Jesus, here's a boy, a small little boy. He's got five small barley loaves and two small fish. But hey, what good is that anyway, right? Like, I'm telling you, this is such an, an, an ironic statement. Like, why even bring it up? Why would you bring this, this small provision to such a big problem? I, I can't wrap my mind around it unless you see that God's using it to teach us a lesson because Andrew's focus is on the size. Hey, here's a little boy, which means he probably doesn't have much. He can't provide more. He's got small loaves of bread. He's got small fish. There's all this identification and definition about the size of it. And here's the lesson. You and I have a tendency to prejudge our influence, to prejudge our value of what we have based on the size. There's something designed in us. It's the Andrew in us <laughs> that when we get ready to give something to God, we start evaluating it and we already start labeling it as small. Right? Oh, man, it's nothing to that. No, I man, I just got, I had a young man ask me after first service, he said, do, do I tithe? And he started explaining all the little times that he gets money, and I was expressing it on every increase. Honor God with it. So sometimes it's just small. I, I, I've literally watched Casey Ray come to church and tithe with two quarters. But, but there's something in our mind that goes, oh, that's small, right? I prejudge it. I put a value to it. We do things like this. Oh, that person makes $100,000. Their tithe is big. Their investment's big. God really wants that because he can do something with it. And then we go, but I only got, you know, 50 bucks. And so we start to kind of prejudge it and pre-assign a value to it. We call it small. That's small. God don't want that. God can't do anything with that. That's small. But watch this. If I call what I have small, if I do it, then in some weird way, I justify not giving it. If I, can, if I can have a moment where I can downsize it and downplay it, if I can minimize it, then I can justify in my spirit not giving it. Oh, it's not much to it. God can't do much with it. See what I mean? We've all done it. There's all been moments where we didn't really want to do it. There was fear. We weren't quite trusting God. We didn't want to do it. So in order to not do it, what we did is we justified not doing it by calling it small. Now, some of y'all may have heard this story before, but I want you to understand that my first real financial interaction with God, the first trust-building moment I ever had with God in regards to finances was over 40 bucks. Four, zero, 40 bucks. 
So I had, I had just been saved, newly saved. I was going to church. I wasn't on staff at church. wasn't working at the church. I was just going to church. And at our church in Memphis, they would do like a little offertory is what they called it right before the sermon. So the pastor would get up and he'd share some Bible verses about giving. And then he'd kind of give a charge to giving. And then they'd pass the offering plates, right? You remember back when offering plates were a thing? They'd pass through it. Surprise, we're starting them in January 1. I'm just kidding. We're not doing that. Okay. But... <laughs> Just about I might wake you up for a second. So anyway, so they passed the offering plates and they'd come through. And so I'm there on one Sunday and uh, I, you know, I got, a, I got a, a minimum wage job. I'm a young adult trying to live with my dad, trying to, you know, trying to have a living. And all of a sudden the spirit of God. Now at that time in my life, I didn't know it was the spirit of God. I, I wouldn't have known what to tell you it was, but something in me as the pastor was talking started to tell me you need to give money in the offering plate. I'd never done it before in my entire life. Never given money to church in any capacity. And so I'm like, okay, all right. And I know that I got some dollar bills in my pocket. And I go, I'm going to give five bucks. It's my plan. I'm going to give a $5 bill. So I go, pull out my wallet. The plate's making its way. I open my wallet. And I got two crisp $20 bills right in the wallet. I'm like, well, guess it's not God's will, right? You don't have a vibe. So it is what it is. And I feel that same feeling tell me, you need to give 20 so I get the $20 bill out, fight with it, put my wallet back in my pocket. I'm prepared. It is what it is. And all of a sudden, as I'm waiting on this plate, it's like the plate took forever to get to me. And as I'm waiting on it, I just, again, that same feeling, I couldn't really identify it, but that same feeling said, you need to give all of it, all 40. I'm like, no, you know, I can't do that. Brother, got to go get something to eat after church and got to go clothes shopping. You know what I mean? Like, like I need a new t-shirt. Like I can't, you know, I, I got some stuff I got to do. So you take this 20 and I'll take the other 20 and we make a deal. You know, I start kind of working out with God and, and we're having this whole conversation privately, you know, as the, as the offer is coming and as it's getting, I'm feeling that pressure more and more and more. And as it's like right next to me, I'm like, fun. And I pull my wallet out and I snatch both 20s out and I put them in the offering plate and it moves on. And I'm just like, and the whole service y'all through the rest of worship, through the pastor's message, I'm as mad as you can get. He's preaching about God's love. And I'm like, God, don't love me. He took both my 20s. You know what I mean? Like, he a mean man. You know, he worked hard for that at the popcorn store. You know what I mean? All this, like, like just, I'm, just, I'm just mad. I'm just angry. People are trying to talk to me after church. I don't want to talk to you. I'm mad. I came in rich. I'm leaving poor. You know what I mean? Like, this is important. And so my routine every Sunday is I go to my car, open the back seat, throw my Bible in the back seat, close, drive away. I'm on my way to my car. I need to pause here for a second because I'll tell you the rest of the story. A few weeks before that, I had gone to Burlington Coat Factory in Memphis and got a bunch of clothes. And I wanted to return all of the clothes, but I couldn't find the receipt. And so when I went to return it, they said, you can have a store credit or you can keep the clothes. And I didn't really want a store credit because I didn't want anything else from there. But I'm like, man, I don't want these clothes either. They didn't fit, whatever it was. And so I was wrestling. I was like, I'm going to find the receipt. And so for weeks, I had been searching everywhere, my car, my bedroom, everywhere. Could not find this receipt. So true, honest story. I go to my car, I open the back seat, I go to throw my Bible in the back seat, and in the back seat, I kept my car pretty clean, there's just this paper on the seat. So I'm like, that's weird. So I put my Bible aside, I pick it up, and it's the receipt to Burlington Coat Factory. Now y'all listen to me. I had searched that car multiple times. I mean, I was standing there in the church parking lot like, you know, wine or, or water to wine. This is another one of these miracles. You know, this is insane. And so I look at the receipt, and it was like $43. And so I took the clothes back and I got $43. Now I'm telling you this. Here's why I'm telling you this. God didn't like pour out this provision on me. I didn't give 40 and come out with 80. It wasn't that kind of message. It was an understanding that God was teaching me, if you will trust me, if you'll trust me, if you'll do what I've told you to do, give 40, I'll give it right back 
and some change. You got three bucks? Go get you a sweet tea from Sonic Route 40. You know what I'm saying? God's teaching us, church. He's teaching us. Look, he may bring provision in your life. He may double it to 80. I don't know. That's between what he's got plans for you. That's not what I'm teaching you. What I'm teaching you is that if you'll trust God, he will make sure you have all that you need. That it is a process that God is wanting to use the financial direction to teach you to trust him to provide you. That was such a cool moment for me because I, I obeyed God. I gave the 40. Now, I didn't give it with a joyful heart, but I gave it, you know? And I learned a lesson. Though. That was the beginning of giving to me where I learned a lesson that if I would just trust God. Now, listen, I wish every time I gave, he gave it right back after I left the church. It doesn't always work that way, but I have never been in need because my, my, my trust is not on me. Because if my trust is on me, I got to go work and get more. I got to go find more. I got to go sell something. I got to go figure it out. But if my trust is on God, I can trust someone bigger than me to provide. Does that make sense? But if I can call it small, I can justify not giving to him at all. God, it's just 40 bucks. It's just, it's just 20 bucks. See what I mean? The God that we serve has built his reputation on taking what you and I call small and doing something big with it. The Bible talks about the widow who had a small jar of oil. Talked about David with five small stones. The other widow who had two small coins. And now this little boy who has small fish and small loaves of bread. The character of God is to take what you and I think is small and to use it to do something big. But instead of downplaying it or minimizing it, we have to surrender, surrender it to God and trust him to do something with it. This is why God says that if you and I would be faithful with a little, then he can trust us with a lot. Whatever you call small, if you'll begin to trust God with what you call small, then God can now trust you with a lot. I get this conversation all the time, pastoring for years, obviously, and Talk, I talk to people and they'll say these kind of things to me. I say, man, if I ever hit the lottery, bro, the first thing I'm doing is tithing to the church. I'm like, you don't tithe now. You know what I mean? Like, like look, you don't tithe off $1,000. You think you're going to get $10 million and all of a sudden get generous, you know? Like, but that's the way our mind thinks. Our mind thinks that it's, a, that it's a result or a response of how much money we have. And the enemy would teach us that it's not about our heart or it's not about our trust in God, that it's about our availability and if we can afford it. That's what the devil wants us to think. But God's saying, hey, if you'll trust me with a little, I know you'll trust me with a lot. Watch this. But if you don't trust me with a little, then you won't trust me with a lot. And so we're trying to learn now, get this principle now, that even while I have just, just a little, I, God, I trust you with it. And then as I get more, I'll continue to trust you. I build in you now a pattern. I build into you now a principle that regardless of what the amount of income is, it's a principle where you trust God across the board. So it's the trust test. And then it's the size test. And then last, it's the obedience test. I think this word has kind of slowly become a dirty word. People don't like to talk about it. And unfortunately, it's a word that we've kind of gotten away from as, as the church as a whole. And we really need to come back to. 
and the idea of being obedient to God. Not obedient to man, not obedient to a move or to a culture, but obedient to God and the word of God. All of God's promises, his provision, all of that are results of us trusting and obeying the word of God. So watch this. Let's go to John chapter 6. And, and I want to I set this up for you, but, but I want you to see it in this way. I, I, I say this a lot. If we're not careful, we'll read something in the Bible, but we'll read it in the context of where we are right now. And we'll read right past it very quickly. And we'll miss some of the details in the story. And there's so much happening in John chapter 6 in regards to being obedient to God. So let's go. Verse 10, watch this. It says, Jesus says, have the people sit down. Have the people sit down. The Bible says there's plenty of grass in that place because, you know, so many people. And they sit down. About 5,000 men were there. Okay, now listen. Theologians will tell you that uh, every man probably had a wife, that every man and wife probably had two kids at least. So now you're in the 15,000, 20,000 range, which we could go with. But because we don't have definite detail of that, let's rewind it and let's just stick with 5,000. Because we know, according to John 6, that 5,000 were there. Okay, that's going to be important. It says, Jesus then took the loaves of bread, he gave thanks, another version says he broke them, and then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples started to distribute them out as much as they wanted, and then he did the same with the fish. All right, here we go. If you're not careful, you read this, this, this combination of scripture, and you read it like this. He told the people to sit down, and they sit down. That, that it's just that simple. Like, hey, everybody sit down, and they sit down. These are 5,000 people, y'all. Have you ever been in a room with 5,000 people and then give them a directive and them all obey it? There are Sundays where we tell you to scoot in to provide seats, and you don't do it. <laughs> talking to 5,000 people. Like, so, so, you know, disciples talking to Jesus, Jesus like, hey, have them sit down. Disciples like, okay. They come out, hey, everybody, we need y'all to sit down. Everybody, hey, everybody, stop talking. Now, he don't have a microphone. Sit down, sit down. We need y'all to sit down. And people are like, I ain't sitting down. You know what I'm like, like, you got some prideful people in the house. I ain't sitting down. He ain't telling me. You got a couple people who are hungry. I'm not sitting down until you feed us. You got people over here going, what do you say? What do you say? Did he tell us to stand up? No, he told us to sit down. Did he tell us to sit down? Like, it's just crazy. Then Jesus said, do it in groups of 50. So he's like, hey, y'all, sit down. And then these people start to sit down. He's like, no, no, wait, 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 wait. Hold on, no, 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 not you. You, wait, 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 wait. Y'all sit down. I, I got to do it 50 at a time. Hold on. Y'all sit down. He said, I'm trying to tell you this because it's complete chaos. This is what I want you to understand. This is not a peaceful moment where Andrew walks out and goes, hello, everybody. The Lord Jesus says, would you please be seated? And then you're like, that's not what happened. This is complete chaos. People are peopling all over. Just kids screaming, running around, won't keep their diapers on. You know what I mean? It is, it is wild, wild. And they're trying to get these people to sit down. And finally they do. The disciples are like, all right, Jesus, now what? And Jesus says, I want you to take this, and I want you to feed every person as much as they wanted. So the disciple comes over to the fish and bread, and he's
okay. He gathers up this little bread and fish, walks over to the first person. Hey, Christina, how much would you like? All of it. <laughs> I want until I don't want anymore. Okay, well, Jesus, you heard her. And you said, give them as much as they want. So at least out of the 5,000, we fed one. He go. He's walking back. He's like, oh boy. Zenobia, how much do you want? All of it, right? You pregnant, girl. We getting <laughs> fill up. What is going on? Here's what I'm trying to illustrate for you. Why didn't God just go ahead and multiply it all in advance? Why wasn't it just piles and piles and piles of those little Chick-fil-A to-go boxes where you get the waffle chips, you know, and the cold chicken sandwich to where they walked up and they were like, two, three, four, one, two, three. We good. We're good. We trusted God. God said he's going to feed them. We counted the people. We made them sit down. God's already provided all the food. Why is he teaching them a principle that says, trust God, give what you have, and then return back to me and make sure that I can provide for you for the next one. Why would God be teaching that principle? Because listen to me, it was never about getting them fed as much as it isn't about you writing a check. It's teaching them and training them a pattern and a principle in their life that says, I will trust God I will give what I'm supposed to give, and then I will return back to God and trust Him to provide for me what I need next. Do you think that the next time that they had to deal with something, do you think their trust in God was just a little bit greater? And then they did it again and a little bit greater. He did it again and a little bit greater. But the part in all of this that got me was their willingness to be obedient. To say, you know what, Jesus? I'm not really sure how new math works, but I know that there is two and five and 5,000, and those numbers don't add up. But because you told me to, I'm going to take what we have. I'm not going to call it small. I'm going to take the little that it is, and I'm going to give it, and I'm going to trust you, God, to provide. It's obedience. This whole concept has been to teach us trust, to minimize the gifting that we have, and then to be obedient to God. So let me tell you a story, and we'll close. Last Sunday, as you know, it was Baptism Sunday in this service. And we were kicking off this trust issue financial series. I always preach on this at the end of the year. I think it's just very important for you in a season of life that's very crazy financially for you to be reminded that God's in control. 
to bring peace back to your financial life. And so I always do it at this time of the year on purpose. And at the end of last week, I'm finally finishing everything up. And all of a sudden it hits me that it's baptism Sunday. And I go, man, there's going to be 30, 40 people in the house that have either never been to church before or they've never been to our church before. And they're going to be there just to see a family member get baptized. And anybody would tell you, now's the time to preach grace. Now's the time to preach salvation. This is the time. I'm like, God, I'm going to be preaching on finances. They're going to hate our church. You know what I mean? Like, this is is not what I should do. And so I started thinking, like, maybe I should just totally push this off to next week. It's fine. Do something. And I felt that same spirit of God that told me to give 40 told me, if you believe in what you're preaching and your belief is as important as you are preaching it, then they need to hear it. Holy Spirit will deal with salvation and all those things. So I said, all right, I'm doing it. So I came into first service last Sunday, preached my heart out. They were so receptive and laughing. Came into second service and it was, I was like, oh boy. There was one guy sitting over here, never changed his facial expression the entire service. After service, he came up to me, he said, hey, great job. I was like, man, tell your face. You know what I mean? Like, good night. Like, that was rough. So we get through service, baptism, have baptisms, beautiful, such great stories. I walk off the stage, I'm headed outside, half body soaking wet and dripping water as I walk out there. And as I walk in, this is stuff you don't know your pastor deals with that maybe you care, maybe you don't. I walk out into the lobby and I'm, I'm just all my mind, I'm like, I shouldn't have done it. I shouldn't have done it. Those people that were here for this, they, they didn't care about it. That might've been my opportunity. God, I missed it. I missed it, God. And I go out, take my microphone off. I get my, my mint, all this kind of stuff. And, Emily comes out the front door and she's, she's bringing this lady with her. She walks the lady up to me and the first thing the lady says to me, she says, thank you for being obedient to God. I was like, say what? She said, I'm not even supposed to be here today. And she said, and you'll probably never ever see me again. She said, I'm in town because one of my family members is in the ICU and I'm visiting them. She said, but I'm in a really tough place financially. So I came over here to this plasma place to give plasma. She said, early this morning, I gave plasma. And she says, I go back to my car. She said, I sat in my car and I just started crying in my car. She said, just overwhelmed by this financial stress. She said, I'm crying in my car. She says, I look up and I see cars everywhere. And I go, what are all these cars? What are all these people doing? She said, I looked up and I saw people coming into your church. So I called my family and I said, hey, are you okay if I go to church before I come back to the hospital? And they said, sure. And she said, I walked in here today. I sat down in your seat. She said, and you preached that message. Watch this. And she said, and I'm leaving here with a Ramsey Plus subscription for free. She tried not to take it. She was like, I can't take it. Emily said, you're taking it. You know, guys, you, you can't know that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? You, you can't know what God's doing. You're just obedient to the presence of God and the spirit of God, and you let God do what he's doing. Amen? Everybody stand in this place with me. My prayer for you when you hear a sermon like this is that you would start asking yourself, Father, where are the areas that I don't trust you in?
Where are the areas that you're asking me to obey, but I'm not listening? Maybe for you it's finances, maybe it's not. But what is the test that God's putting you through to try to prove himself to you? To try to gain relationship with you, to bring promise, to bring help into your life. Do me a favor, close your eyes right now in this place. My prayer, Father, is that you would begin to bring to our hearts and to our minds the areas that we need to trust you more in. Come on, right now, just begin to think about it. What are the areas where you need to trust God? What are the areas that the Spirit of God is calling you to obey? And you know it. You know it. And this is one of those tests and one of those reminders where God says, if you'll just surrender it all and fall back, I'll catch you. I'll catch you. Respond today. Start trusting today. You can trust him with your life. Trust him with your marriage. Trust him with your dreams. Trust him with your finances. But it starts with your ability to surrender by, being, by obeying and being obedient. Saying, God, I surrender and I lean on you. So right now, in this place, right now, would you do that? Just in your own way, would you just start to pray? Start to say, Father, I need your help. I need your help. I want to trust you in this area. I want to be obedient in this area, but I'm having a difficult time. And I need the Spirit of God. I'm, I'm ready to surrender. I'm ready to fall back. I'm ready to trust you. But Jesus, I need you in this place. Father, can you catch me? Can you help shape who I think you are? That you're not somebody who wants to not catch me, but you're somebody who does want to catch me. Come on, lean into that moment. Lean into that moment. And come on, let's respond with worship this morning. Let's respond with worship as we begin to say, I trust in you, Father. I trust in you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Because I trust in God. You're my Savior. Hallelujah. Come on, tell him, you'll never fail. You'll never fail.